Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So that is Psalm 31. And this can be found on page 559 in the Church Bibles. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. A strong fortress to save me, since you are my rock and my fortress. For the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servants. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all all who hope in the Lord. Good evening. Let me add my welcome to Chris. It's very good to see you tonight. Uh, We are continuing our our series to the Psalms, Psalm 31. If you've closed the Pew Bibles, it's on page 559. And uh, also there's a little handout, a yellow handout on the way in. I hope you got one of those. 
which gives you a, a rough outline of where we'll go over the next few moments. You might find it helpful to have to hand. I love the summer. On days like today, when the sun is strong and the air is warm and you're able to walk around and maybe have an ice cream in one hand and just enjoy the benefits of summer. Paul, uh, in his prayers, mentions some of the wonderful benefits of the summer, rest and relaxation and views and uh, a change of pace, time with friends, holidays. I love the summer. And um, I guess there'll be some here tonight who've had a really good day, a great weekend. You've been loving the summer. And uh, tonight you come, not claiming the world is perfect, but, but you're in a good place. And as we read Psalm 31, right at the end of the psalm, verse 24, you might be able to say with David, agreeing with what he says, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And you say, yes, life is good. It is good following the Lord. He's put me in a good place tonight. But what about when life is not going well? Yes, it's the summer, but perhaps for other people, the summer is a time of loneliness, many are going on holiday, but you're not able to go away, a time perhaps of melancholy, depression. Maybe some here tonight have really struggled tonight, this week, this summer. A room this size, there'll be many, I think, who are aware of financial struggles. Others, some friction in our relationships, a breakdown perhaps. Others, single and very much aware of it. Others will be facing a decision we just cannot seem to make. Uh, I can think of a friend of mine who has had terrible health all summer. They've been in constant pain because of it, and it's been wretched for them this summer. And if life is going well for us at the moment, it's amazing how quickly life can change. The heat can come on. It can just take one text, one phone call, one change of circumstances. A friend of mine had a new neighbor move in next door. And overnight, their world changed. For the, the new neighbor, they were a nightmare. From day one, they were rude and abrupt. They started shouting abuse across the fence. And it got so bad that my friend dreaded going outside in case the neighbor was there. Out of nowhere. A friend of a friend of mine is a pastor in the Middle East. And out of nowhere one day, he was arrested on trumped-up charges. He was taken to prison. He's still, many years later, under arrest with no sign of him being released. And it happened so quickly, out of nowhere. And when life is hard and we become under pressure, it is much harder then to agree with David when he says, be strong and take heart, all who hope in the Lord. And that is why Psalm 31 is such a help, for in this psalm, David is a man under pressure. It's not clear exactly what the pressure is. At times, it seems to be a betrayal from a friend. Others, it's mocking from an enemy. There seems to be some physical suffering. There's certainly emotional distress. Um, We think also there's probably guilt over sin. There's definitely loneliness. In fact, in the psalm, the the exact kind of pressure doesn't really seem to be the point that David's making. The point, rather, is that he is under pressure. He's suffering. He's weeping. Life is hard. And in Psalm 31, David wonderfully shows us how we should cry out to the Lord in prayer when we are under pressure, when we weep, when we suffer. 
His goal is to help us be strong, to take heart, even when life is hard. And so for those of us who are under pressure tonight, I think this will be of great help. But even if we feel like life is going well, pressure will come at some point. These are words that will help us in that moment. You'll see in the handouts, um, this, the first point there I've said is um, the preview, verses 1 to 8. That Psalm 31 is uh, slightly unusual in its structure. And I think we have this, um, the first section is a, is a little preview to the rest of the psalm. And it's a bit like how a film trailer gives us a, a brief glimpse into what to expect if we go and watch the main film. We get introduced to the, the main characters, the, the mood of the film, the, the key moments. Um, just this last weekend, we were trying to decide whether to go and watch the new Mission Impossible film or the new Mamma Mia sequel. And we couldn't quite decide, and so we watched the trailers online to see what we thought about the films. You know, that's the point of the trailer. It gives you an insight of what you'll get if you go. And somehow, I don't know how, we ended up going not to watch Mission Impossible. (laughs) On the way back from the cinema, I decided the film uh, should be renamed Mamma Mia, Why Did We Go Again? Anyway, these first eight verses are are a preview to the rest of the psalm, helping us to know what to expect. And so verse one, in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. And so it's clear from this preview, the trailer, that this is not going to be a comedy. This is a hard moment in David's life. He's worried about being shamed. He, he needs to be delivered. Over the next few verses, he asks for rescue, for, for guidance, for liberation from a trap set for him. He is a man under great pressure. But notice also how he responds. Verse five. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. What a wonderful declaration of trust in the Lord. Verse six, David is almost sort of fierce in his language of loyalty to the Lord. No idols for David. And the preview finishes on a note of real confidence, verse eight. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. And so by verse eight, it seems as if the crisis is over. He's in a spacious place, a good place. It all seems so simple. David has been saying his prayers one morning at the start of a new day. He looks at his diary and he realizes it's gonna be a hard day, a day of pressure. And so he prays to the Lord, help me, rescue me, deliver me. And then having prayed, he says, I trust in you. And he accepts that the Lord will rescue him, give him a good day. And so certain is he of how his life will pan out in the future. He's able to speak in the past tense about future realities as if the Lord has already fixed the problems. But then I imagine David, as he finishes off his coffee and stands up to go and start his day, it's as if the the reality of what's actually coming towards him that day just hits him in the face and he, he sort of collapses back down into his seat again and he prays again. And His second prayer is the heart of what we'll look at tonight from verses nine to the end. And I think what we discover tonight is one of the most heart-rending, anguished prayers in the Bible. 
Don't be surprised if we have to bring our trials and tears to the Lord more than once before we can start a new day. That was the experience of David. And so for the rest of the evening, I want to look at the, uh, the, the main event, the film itself, if you like, having understood the trailer. You'll see in the handout from verse 9 onwards, David's despair is the first thing we see in his main prayer. So look at verse 9. He goes back to his crisis. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul, my body with grief. We may not know what's causing David's distress, but it does seem clear that whatever is causing it has been going on for some time. It's as if David has been scanning the horizon, looking for help, with his eyes gazing around for some kind of protection, but it hasn't come and for a long time. He's been looking, and his eyes are strained with the searching, and they're full of grief, and now his eyes are weary with the, the longing for help. It's not just his eyes. His body is becoming physically run down with the emotional turmoil. His soul is weak. His inner life, his perspective, his emotions, they are ground down by the persistence of his suffering. I've spoken to a number of Christians who have lived with chronic pain in their life for many years, and they describe something of verse 9. They know that the Lord can heal them, They've looked around for his rescue from that pain, but the rescue hasn't come. And as they've waited in that tension of knowing God could but hasn't, they just feel ground down emotionally, spiritually by, by what's happening to them. It, they describe it, some of them, as the hardest trial of their lives, chronic pain. And so verse 10, David says, my life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. A little while ago, Lorna and I spent a few nights in a house that had a damp problem. When you walked in, you can smell the damp in the air. It was everywhere, and as we looked around, we saw the damp rising up from the ground. There's mildew everywhere in the corners, and it was as if the house was slowly being consumed from the bottom up by damp and mildew, gradually taking over the house. And that is something of the picture here in verse 10 is David's life is gobbled up, consumed, not by mold, but by anguish. And then verse 11, because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. It seems that people have been talking about David. They've seen his anguish, his long-term problems, and his enemies have started to whisper. They've been saying, see David, see how his life's fallen apart? I wonder if it's because he's done something wrong. You know, he sinned. God is punishing him for his sin. And you can imagine the rumors spreading around the town. Certainly, if you know Job and his battles with grief, that was his experience as his so-called friends reacted that way to his suffering. And it seems that as the enemies have whispered about David's life, so his friends have started to wonder why it is that David has had such anguish in his life. And so they too start to ignore him as if they don't want to be involved in his pain, as if he's got the plague and somehow if they get too close, they'll get caught up in his story of, of weeping and tears. So his friends, his neighbors scatter. And isn't that often the way when a friend of ours gets caught up in a story of sadness and suffering Part of us wants to run away from them. Perhaps we wonder in our minds if 
maybe they deserve it, some kind of spiritual karma for something they did that we don't know about. Or maybe we're just worried that if we get too close to their pain, we might get caught up somehow in their pain that we'll get ourselves into something we can't fix and we'll be overwhelmed by their suffering. It'll creep into our lives. And so we pull back from the one who suffers. We don't make the phone call. We sit on the other side of the church building. When we do speak to them, we keep the conversation light and easy in case they start talking about the real pain going on in their lives. And for the one going through the distress, the pain is only amplified by the lack of support from others. And so verse 12, David says, I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I've become like a piece of pottery. When I was at uni, I had a a favorite mug. It was a Scottish rugby union mug. And um, I think for three or four years, I had coffee from it every morning. It was my special coffee mug in the morning. And then one day I dropped it and it shattered. And I was, well quite upset, you know, obviously not very upset, I'm a, I'm a guy, I was, you know, robust, but, um, you know, I was sad, and I, I tried to gather bits together, I got, had some super glue, and I tried various things to piece the shattered bits together, but if you know what happens to pottery when it breaks, you, you can never make it as good as it was. Coffee kind of leaked out, and the handle broke again, and it, it was gone. I had to bin it. And David feels like a piece of broken pottery. He, Whatever has happened in his life, it, it so ruined his life that he can never see a way for him to be back to how it was before. He can never be useful again. It, it, it may be some of his sin that he's done. We don't know. Or it may just be the anguish of his circumstances and he, he just can't see a way for his life ever to be put back together. A piece of broken pottery. Here is David's distress. They are strong words but they are a great help to us. When we go through pain, the Bible understands. The Bible vindicates our own desire to cry out, to, to, to weep and to express the, the, the severity of our emotions. We're, we are allowed to do that as God's people. We don't have to pretend that we're okay to put on a stiff upper lip I'm British and I'm fine. There is a warning here, I think, for those of us who try to support our grieving friends by trying to fix their grief, to step in and sort out their problems with a quick answer, or a quick solution, to say, well, yes, they're there, but, but it's okay, isn't it? Rather, this psalm would say to us, perhaps the best way you can support a friend initially is just to listen to their tears. Let them weep. Let them express what is in their hearts. There's also a challenge for those who are suffering in that so often we don't want to talk to God about our pain. We might happily speak to anyone else about it, but not to God. I wonder if part of David's agony, and I mentioned this already, is that he knows that the Lord has the power to rescue him. That's why he's been looking around for help. But the Lord has not rescued him. Why has the Lord not rescued David? It's been a long time, many years. His life consumed by anguish. And you can imagine David every morning praying the same prayers again and again, wondering if they are getting through to heaven, wondering if the Lord has the power, the love to actually step in and help. And you can understand why David might not want to speak to the Lord about his anguish. And I wonder if there are some here tonight who we, 
for a time we did speak to the Lord, but we stopped now. We wondered if there's any point. But Psalm 31 encourages God's people to speak to God about our distress. So here is David in distress, and yet I think also a great example of how to respond to God in our distress. And then our second point, David's confidence. Look at verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. And here is David's confidence. He's not confident in his ability to understand his circumstances to see why God would allow them to happen. He's not confident in God's timings in that the circumstances are going to be fixed tomorrow. He doesn't have that confidence. His confidence rather is simply that his life, his times are in the Lord's hands. Which means that God has not gone away on holiday for a few weeks and while God's been away, David's life has fallen apart but God doesn't know because he's not there. And then when God comes back from holiday, he realizes that he's kind of let David down and so he'll step in at some point to put things right. That's not what David is saying. David is saying that all the way through the distress and the suffering, at every stage, his life has been in God's hands. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that God has caused the distress and the suffering. But I am saying that these things are not outside of God's sovereignty and he has still been holding David all the way through. This means that David's suffering is not out of control or pointless or aimless or unending. My times are in your hands. David is also confident that when God decides the time is right, then and only then will God put things right. And so look at verse 19. David says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. I have this picture in my mind of a, of a wine cellar being stocked with choice, high-quality wine being tucked away by the owner for years to come in the future. Uh, the wine isn't ready yet. It needs to be matured and set aside for a time. But a day is coming when the wine is ready and the owner knows when that day will be. And at some point in the future, the owner will bring out the, the choice and ripened, mature wine and he will bless his guests with what has been stored up for them, the goodness that he has planned for them. That is, I think, the sense in verse 19. David knows that the Lord has good things planned for him. And at the right time, out of his storeroom, he will bring those things into David's life. And so he says, my times are in your hands. Of course, David still prays for deliverance. He's not fatalistic in that sense. Verse 15, deliver me. Verse 16, let your face shine on me. Verse 17, let me not be put to shame. But as he prays, he is content to let the Lord decide when the deliverance will come. My times are in your hands. There is here, I think, a great help for us as we seek to relate to the Lord through suffering. We can make ourselves sick trying to second guess what God's purpose is 
behind allowing the suffering in our lives. We can make ourselves sick wondering when the suffering will come to an end. So often we just don't know. A well-meaning friend might say to us, don't worry, I'm sure God will put that thing right soon. He'll do it, I'm sure, very soon. We'll just pray and he'll come and fix things. But again, we just don't know if that's true. The pain might come to an end tomorrow or it might last a lifetime. But David's confidence rests in knowing his times are in God's hands. And when the time is right, God will bring out great riches of joy and blessing. The greatest example of this kind of prayer is, of course, the Lord Jesus. Just before his arrest, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus was deeply anguished. He knew that a betrayal was coming, that his enemies would gloat and his friends would be scattered. He knew that he would experience great anguish, that his life would be broken like a piece of pottery. And such was his anguish that he cried out to his heavenly father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. A cry for rescue, a cry of anguish, very similar to David's cry in Psalm 31. But like David, Jesus also submitted to his heavenly father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And on the cross, as he faced his own death, Luke tells us that Jesus cried out, Father, and then he quotes Psalm 31, our psalm tonight, verse five, the words of Jesus on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. How could Jesus pray that way? Because he believed what David believed, verse 19, When the time was right, God the Father would bring out of his storeroom great goodnesses stored up for those who trust in him. And after three days in the grave, the Lord raised Jesus from death to resurrection life. And not just to a new life, but to the highest throne over every throne. He is now the king of kings. We might be totally baffled by our suffering. It is okay to be baffled by our suffering. It is okay to cry out, but like David and like Jesus, a day is coming when the Lord will bring out of his storeroom great blessings that will more than make up for the tears. And we might see the blessings now in this life, or it might be that God's plan is for us to wait until the new creation on that side of life. But they will come. My times are in your hands. Well, as we finish, David's response. Look at verse 21. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was a besieged city. Verse 22. You heard my cry for mercy. There's no indication that David's circumstances have changed. It takes, I think, about two minutes to pray the psalm through from beginning to end. Uh, Nothing's changed in his David's life. But as he's prayed Psalm 31, he's moved from anguish and distress to praise. And indeed, verse 23, he can say to God's people, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Verse 24, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. It's remarkable confidence 
But remember, David is still in the middle of his distress. Nothing's changed in his circumstances. And I think we're seeing one very important role that prayer has in the life of the Christian. Yes, we do pray because we are confident that the Lord hears our prayers and acts through our prayers to change our circumstances, absolutely. We should also pray prayers of praise, thanksgiving, giving glory to God, absolutely, of course. But, but also we should pray because prayer changes us. It changes our hearts. And even if our circumstances don't change, having hearts that are changed is a tremendous blessing. And I think as David goes through this pattern of utter distress, naming his sorrows, talking to God about his fears, and then consciously describing to God why he is confident, my times are in your hands, O Lord. It's as he does that, that he is able to say with integrity, praise be to the Lord. Love the Lord. Be strong, take heart. Because he's reminded himself of what is true. The Lord is good. He will rescue. Out of his storeroom will come great blessings. And so for David, that is where true strength is found. By speaking to the Lord, praying to him in in the way that he does in Psalm 31. And so for us tonight, if we are going through hard times, I encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Maybe tonight go home and just spend as long as it takes to tell him about your suffering. But also use Psalm 31 to remind your hearts of the goodness stored up for you that will come your way. David needed to pray twice. It may be that we need to pray three, four, five, ten, twenty, a hundred times before we, we are sure and confident in our hearts to be able to praise the Lord. But that is the pattern we are to follow as God's people. Of course, we are in a better position than David's for the rescue, the, the, the shelter he longed for we look back and discover we already have in Christ. His death on the cross, his suffering and his tears, his brokenness, and then his resurrection to glory is our deliverance. For we have been caught up in his death and in his resurrection. And so we have greater grounds than David to be confident in the Lord, to say our lives are in your hands. And one day the rescue we already have in Christ will become a visible reality. Our sin will be replaced by perfection, our tears by joy, our fears by confidence, our questions by understanding. And that is why we can be strong and take heart as we hope in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the honesty of this psalm, for the way David describes his distress, for the way that we have put down in words so much of what our heart often feels in this broken world. But Father, we also thank you that we have great grounds for confidence. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. We thank you for the rescue we have in him, our confidence we have in him, and we thank you that there is goodness stored up for us that one day will be brought out from your storeroom for our great joy and thanksgiving. Please help us to be a people who cling on to you through suffering, not walking away 
but rather crying out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.